So this morning, uh, really all I want to do, uh, we just want to walk through the beginning of Romans 5 uh, to see what God is saying and, and how it applies to our lives today. But while you're turning, uh, just to give you some context of, of where this falls, right, where we're at in the book of Romans, uh, because it is a letter, so there is a, an arc of things. Uh, in the early part of the book of Romans, um, the, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is, is setting up this idea that we are all completely and eternally guilty in and because of our sin. Uh, so the end of chapter 1 into the beginning, about halfway through chapter 3, sets up this idea that, that we are completely guilty uh, because of our sin, in our sin. Uh, but then the end of chapter 3 and then all of chapter 4 uh, begin to outline that because of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus did on the cross, uh, his righteousness is given to all who believe. Uh, so in other words, right, by our faith in Jesus... The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ so that his death becomes our death and his life becomes our life. Jesus takes our sin uh, even though he didn't perform it and we take his righteousness even though we didn't earn it. And so by the faith that unites us to Christ, we stand before God forgiven of all of our sins and righteous with the imputed or the assigned righteousness of Christ. Our guilty sentence is erased, and we are seen as Jesus is seen by the Father. And that's where we get this phrase that you see in Romans 4. We'll see it again here in just a second at the beginning of 5, that we are justified by faith. We are made righteous by our faith in Jesus. And, and, and this really kind of falls a little bit under the category of what Travis spoke to last week uh, when he shared that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we are rich in Christ because of what he has done for us. Uh, and so the beginning of Romans establishes this fact, right? It sets up this idea. Uh, really, it's the, 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 the phrasing to convince us that we are justified by faith. And then in Romans 5 is where we begin to see the, the practical benefits of that fact, uh, right? Laying out several reasons why, uh, why I really believe we can rest assured that we can be comforted uh, today. So if you will look with me at Romans 5, uh, in verse 1 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so the first thing uh, that, that I see, the first benefit really, first reason I think we can rest assured is because we have peace with God. Uh, and, and it's important to note that this isn't the peace of God that is spoken about in, in other parts of Scripture, right? That feeling of contentment that comes over us, that peace that passes all understanding. This is not that. This is peace with God. And so, uh, really, that just means that the battle between God and ourself is finished. Since the fall, since uh, sin was introduced into the world, which we can read about in Genesis chapter 3, all of us have come into this world as enemies of God. Uh, and Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed against all the unrighteousness of man. And then Romans 3, 23 uh, says that all men or all mankind are unrighteous. Uh, so we all fall under this category of, of unrighteousness. Uh, 
as enemies of God. But because the price is paid in full by the work of Jesus on the cross, God's justice towards us is eternally satisfied. Right? And this position of peace that we have, because that justice is satisfied, only comes through Jesus. Because Ephesians 2.14 actually says that he is our peace. Right? Our peace comes from Jesus. But this leads us to a question that we're going to ask several times today. You're probably going to get sick of hearing me say it, I promise. It's probably going to happen. Uh, but I think it's a necessary question, it's an important question, and we will ask it often in our time together today. Why is this important? Why is this important? Right? I think there's, there's this element of, of knowing things, but if we don't understand why it's important for our lives today, I think it's easy that we just gloss over and we say, yep, we have peace with God. Nice. And then we just leave it. And we never really get to the heart of why that matters to you and I right now as we live now. Uh, so, why is this important? Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 7 through 10 uh, says that God does discipline us for sin after we have placed our faith in Jesus, but that it's no longer intended as punishment. It's, it's loving discipline uh, in treating us as his children. It's intended for our good that we might share in his holiness. And so if you've trusted Christ, if you've given your life to him, peace with God means that as you live your life, you can be confident and comforted. You can rest assured that when you sin and fail and mess up, God's correction and discipline is out of love and not wrath. Right? You don't have to hide from him in shame or run from him in fear because you are at peace with him. There's times in, in my life that when I sin, I don't feel worthy to pray. I, I don't feel worthy to, to be in his word. And, and maybe for you, maybe you've struggled with the same sin just over and over and over, even after you've tried to repent of that sin. And maybe you just feel like God is so angry with you. Or, or maybe you haven't been consistent in spending time with God. And, and so you feel like he doesn't even really want to hear from you. Uh, or, or you feel in general that you've just messed up too much. And, and when we get in these places, we, we start to trick ourselves that being in the word, that being in prayer just isn't worth it. And that's why peace with God is so important because it, it really, it radically transforms the way that I live, excuse me, that I live my life and my understanding as I continue to mess up, because knowing that God is not angry with me, knowing that he's not looking to strike you down in wrath, but that he actually loves us, that should lead us to deeper intimacy with him. It makes me want to be around him more. So we can rest assured because we have peace with God. Second, I believe we can rest assured because we stand in grace. Look with me again at our passage, uh, beginning in verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, so the first thing that we see in verse 2 is that we are given access 
And the idea here is actually one of like being introduced into something, uh, which right off the bat first makes me know or it reminds me, helps me realize that this isn't something I can work my way into. Like whatever I'm being given access to, whatever I'm being introduced to, isn't something that I can just work really hard at and earn on my own. It's something that has to be given to me. Uh, and, and the way that, that this word access is written grammatically um, actually indicates that this access is a standing, permanent possession. It cannot be taken away from us at a later time. That's, that's the way it's written. That's the, the phrasing behind it. Um, I like the way uh, Bible commentator Adam Clark put it. He said, this access to God or introduction to the divine presence is to be considered a lasting privilege. We are not brought to God for the purpose of an interview, but to remain with him, to be his household, and by faith to behold his face and walk in the light of his countenance or in the light of his presence. And so knowing that, knowing that, that we are introduced, that we have this permanent place, that we are given access, again, it leads us to the question that I told you we were going to ask a lot today. Why is this important? But to me, uh, this access and, and permanent position, right, it's comforting because it reminds me that I can't out the grace of God. I can't. No amount of personal failure in your life is enough to cause God to revoke or take away this standing and position and access with him once it's been given. And that is a huge deal. <laughs> Something that I think we easily gloss over a lot. But that's not where the verse stops. Uh, if this access is an introduction, then it begs the question, well, what, what are we introduced into? And verse 2 tells us that it's the grace in which we stand. We have a standing in grace in God's unmerited or undeserved favor. And this grace is given through Jesus, and it's gained by faith. God's grace is not only the way that salvation comes to us, but it's also a description of our continual standing before God. Um, uh, another Bible commentator, uh, David Guzik, he put it this way. He said, many Christians begin in grace, but then think they must go on to perfection and maturity by dealing with God on the principle of law, on the ideas of earning and deserving. Paul spoke against this very point in Galatians 2, uh, 3, 2 and 3, and Galatians 5, 1 through 4. He goes on to say that a standing in grace reassures us God's present attitude towards the believer in Christ Jesus is one of favor, seeing them in terms of joy, beauty, and pleasure. He doesn't just love us, he likes us because we are in Jesus. That's good by, all by itself. <laughs> But again, it leads us to our question. Why is that important? Why is it important to know, right, we've, we've been given this permanent access, this introduction uh, by faith through Jesus, but we're given it into the standing of grace. Why is it important that we stand in grace? To me, uh, because it reiterates that God's love for us isn't simply out of convenience or pity. Right? Our standing in grace helps me rest assured that my God not only loves me wildly and unconditionally, but he also likes me. and He wants to be around me. 
Maybe you feel misunderstood or, or, or like no one really like truly knows you for who you are. and No one really likes you for who you are. And no matter what other people might feel or say or think, the truth uh, of this passage says that God does. God sees you. God sees the real you. And he still wants to be around you. He wants us to be in his word and to communicate with him in prayer, not just because it's good for us, but because he wants to be around us. And if I seem like a broken record on this point, like, all right, move on, geez. Uh, It's because this is like crazy to me. Because there's times that I don't even want to be by my, like with myself. Like I, I get tired of myself sometimes. And so the fact that the creator God, that the, that the savior of the world, that my Jesus, he never tires of being with me. He never tires of being around me. That's just so humbling. That's so comforting to me. And ultimately, again, makes me want to be around him as well. Because I think every single one of us understands the idea of wanting to be around other people who want to be around you. Right? Nobody wants to be around people who don't want to be around you. That's just, that's no fun. I think we all understand that piece. But then the last thing that we see in this verse is really just the logical outcome of this knowledge. Right? The, the logical outcome of this access that we have into this standing of grace. Look with me again at verse two. The Bible says, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So, so our, our logical outcome, the, the next step, it, we just rejoice. But it's not just uh, rejoicing in the Lord himself, but the verse says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, And and this means that that we should boast or rejoice in the fact that one day we will experience all the glories of God. One day we will see him and be with him face to face and we will enjoy him forever. So again, I told you it was gonna come a lot. When I said a lot, I meant a lot. Why is this important? Why is it important that we get to that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of the Lord? Not just that we rejoice in the Lord, but we rejoice in the coming glory, knowing that if we've placed our faith in him, we get to be with him. Well, because it gives me an eternal perspective. It gives me a kingdom focus. Right? As you live day to day, you can know that one day nothing will get in the way of your being with him, of my being with him. Not the world, not other people, not the devil, and certainly not my own junk. Nothing is going to get in the way of us being with him. And that causes me not only to look forward to that day, but to live for that day, rather than just focus completely on my days here on the earth. Rather than make all all my effort, all my work about this life, knowing that one day I get to be with the king causes me to live for that day. Makes me excited for that day. I'm ready to leave here now. Like, I want to be there. But before we get to that glorious day, there's still the here and now. There's still everyday life to to deal with uh, and and to, to live through. And really the next few verses address just that. If you look again with me at our passage, Romans 5, Starting in verse 1, 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. So, so far we've said that we can rest assured because we have peace with God, because we stand in grace. And these verses lead us to our third point. We can rest assured because our suffering is redeemed. Before we get to that internal day, uh, something else comes along in the Christian life. Uh, Different translations say different things, but tribulations, sufferings, afflictions, uh, they're, they're all used, uh, and they all just mean like stresses, thing that cause stress on, on our life, on the way that we live. And really, the, this, this phrase, afflictions, that's, that's used in verse 3, it, it speaks to more than just persecutions. It's not just saying, when you're persecuted for your faith, it does these things. Uh, really, it's, it's, it's more inclusive, it's more... Uh, encompassing than that. Uh, Someone wants to find tribulation this way. They said, anything that makes life harder and threatens your faith in the goodness and power and wisdom of God is tribulation. Loss of health, broken or strained relationships, vocational hardships and disappointments, accidents and natural disasters, verbal or physical assaults, or simply everyday inconveniences from traffic jams to plumbing problems. Pretty inclusive. That's, that's the idea behind this, this phrase, this word. Um, but another thing uh, to note and point out is that these things are normal. They're not abnormal. Uh, it would be abnormal for a Christian not to go through afflictions, not to face tribulation and suffering in their life. Uh, because as Paul taught all the churches according to Acts 14.22, he said, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is normal. It's to be expected. Jesus even said it in John 16. We will have tribulation in the world. These things are just normal. Um, But not only are we to expect them, uh, this passage uh, goes on to say that we can glory in tribulations, that we can take pleasure uh, and rejoice in sufferings. Now before we go any further... Before we go further, because I don't want you to tune this out for the rest of our time together today, thinking either A, that I'm full of it, or B, that you know what I'm going to say and and you've heard everything before, so you can just start thinking about lunch. Uh, I want to address this idea, uh, and and really the question that often comes with this idea of taking pleasure in sufferings, because I think normally we're like, how? Like, how how am I going to do that? Because that seems outrageous. Uh, The answer is the grace of God. It's our standing in grace. You don't hold the key to this wonderful, supernatural way of life that should set Christians apart from the world. God does. The power to rejoice and take pleasure in in suffering comes from all-powerful grace that we receive by trusting in God's promises. There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He's a pretty famous preacher from the 1800s that I thought spoke to this really well. 
Uh, He said, tribulation worketh patience, says the apostle. Naturally, it is not so. Tribulation worketh impatience. And impatience misses the fruit of experience and sours into hopelessness. Ask many who have buried a dear child or have lost their wealth or have suffered pain of body, and they will tell you that the natural result of affliction is to produce irritation against providence, rebellion against God, questioning, unbelief, petulance, which is just like a childish bad temper, uh, and, and all sorts of evils. But what a wonderful alteration What a wonderful alteration takes place when the heart is renewed by the Holy Spirit. So why is this important? Because knowing that this is impossible without the grace of God, knowing that you cannot, you can't take pleasure in your sufferings without His grace, uh, for me at least, it changes the way I view my sufferings. Because as I suffer, I often think of myself first and the Lord last. I'm, I'm worried about how I'm going to handle the situation, what I'm going to do to fix it, scared that I'm just going to mess things up even more. Um, and, and I don't know what your typical response uh, in the midst of suffering is, but you do. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the standing you have in grace should change the way you view your sufferings because it means that the pressure is off of you. You get to boldly go to Jesus and allow his grace to transform the way you respond to suffering. Travis spoke to this last week when when he talked about uh, how God handled the covenant with Abraham. Uh, And and just like in that scenario, right? God takes all the burden of this process on himself. He takes all the pressure of transforming us into the image of his son, of redeeming our sufferings into his own hands. And you and I can rest assured knowing that this doesn't depend on me, but on the one who is always dependable. It takes the pressure off of us. So it's only by his grace that we can take pleasure in sufferings, but the verse goes on to answer why we do. Look at verse 3 with me again. It says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces Endurance. Why do we take pleasure in our sufferings? Because they are the occasion to produce endurance. A runner or an athlete, they have to be stressed, right? They have to condition in order to gain endurance. For the believer, tribulation is just part of our Christian life. It builds in us uh, the endurance to trust God more and to trust him longer. In other words, it strengthens our faith. And our faith becomes stronger in the same way that tempered steel is stronger. Uh, Or if uh, that's not really your thing, uh, and you're more like uh, my wife and I, and you're more interested in or obsessed with uh, cooking and baking shows, that's like our jam. We watch them all the time. If you're more like us, uh, our faith becomes stronger in the same way that tempered chocolate is stronger. In both processes, the material is heated to a certain temperature and then it's cooled down, uh, which does something scientific that I don't understand. Uh, But the result, again, in both is a stronger material. It's harder to break than before. Tempered steel can take and hold more, excuse me, it can take and hold more weight. Tempered chocolate can hold its shape 
better, allowing uh, it to be constructed in ways and do things that regular chocolate could never withstand. Uh, It has been said that tribulation or affliction or suffering is like the fire that tempers the steel of faith. So when Paul says tribulation brings about perseverance or endurance, he means that the fiery tests of trouble are meant by God to make your faith unbreakable. That's this endurance that we speak of. We rejoice in suffering because it produces a stronger faith within us. But there's more. Uh, Read verse 4 with me. It says, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. So the endurance that we gain from sufferings, it then leads to a type of character within us. And the idea of character here is just having the tendency uh, or the greater tendency to do the right thing, the thing that honors the Lord. And that character is proven or it's genuine, uh, really just meaning that it's not fake, it's not simply talked about, it's lived out. It's lived out. And in reality, it's the character of Jesus in us as we begin to transform into his image. And then this proven character, this looking more and more like Jesus, then produces a hope in us. And this hope is is really just a confidence that we are his children, that we will inherit his glory, and that we will spend eternity with him. So again, we come to our broken record question. Why is this important? Why does it matter? We just covered a lot, but I want to remind us of our last point because I think it's the answer to this question. Why is this important? Because our suffering is redeemed. Knowing that there will be stresses, that there will be suffering, afflictions, tribulation, knowing that those things will come in my life is really disheartening to me at first. But knowing that those sufferings produce endurance, they make my faith stronger. And that endurance produces a proven character. makes me more like Jesus. And that proven character then produces a hope, that confidence of being his child. Knowing those things reminds me that my sufferings actually do something. It means something. I don't know how you've suffered in your life. Maybe it's been a pain of the body or mind. Maybe it's been primarily in different relationships that you've had. Maybe you've suffered financially or or even socially. However those things have come in your life, I can say this with confidence. For everyone in Christ Jesus, for everyone who has put their faith in him, those sufferings aren't just awful things that happen to make you angry or see how you will respond. The sufferings aren't just things that God uses to point out how horrible you are or to point out how terrible you are at being like him. This golden chain of Christian growth and maturity, as some people have called it, this line, uh, it helps me rest assured that God is redeeming the sufferings of my life. He's using them to make uh, and create something wonderful and beautiful that I just can't see yet. So we can rest assured because we have peace with God, because we stand in grace, because our suffering is redeemed, and finally, because we are lavished with love. Look with me again at our passage, again starting in verse 1. 
It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So verse 5 speaks more to the hope that we just referenced. And I think humans in our flesh, uh, we, we have a tendency to put our hope in lots of different things for lots of different reasons. Right, The hope that physical intimacy will, will fulfill that need to be loved and cherished. Uh, the hope that more money will lead to a feeling of security. Uh, the hope that Netflix or alcohol or, or even staying busy uh, will just erase the stresses of the mind. The hope that being a good person is enough. Or the hope that the next thing or the next person uh, will solve all of our problems. But all all of those hopes will eventually disappoint us because they're rooted in things with either no evidence or false evidence to support them. Each of these hopes will only ever lead to more problems, more feelings of inadequacy, and more emptiness. But the hope that this passage outlines, verse 5 says it's a hope that will not disappoint us, that will not make us feel shame. And we're assured of this because God has proven his intention to complete his work in us. He has proven his intention to show us the end. And the proof is his love. The proof is the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us at the moment of salvation, at that moment of justification that we talked about earlier. And this phrase, poured out, is where we get the idea in in the point that says we are just lavished with love. The, the, The underlying idea is just this heaping, overflowing, right? just giving in extravagant amounts. Uh, As I was studying, I I heard someone uh, put it this way. They said, God's love isn't given to us in a trickle, but in a waterfall. It's not like drip by drip. He just dumps it on us through the Holy Spirit. And so we can confidently hope in Jesus and his love for us because of all the evidence that proves that God loves us. And we will not be disappointed and we will not feel shame when we devote ourselves to God even through suffering, because we know that we belong to the Creator and that He loves us deeply. So again, we ask, why is this important? Knowing that He loves me and having the evidence of that love in the form of the Holy Spirit causes a deep and humbling desire for Him to grow within me. Right? I have a deep and humbling desire to be with and around my wife. Because not only has she said that she loved me, she's proven it. She's given evidence to that fact in the way that she cares for me, in the way that she speaks to me, in the way that she treats me. And in the same way, God isn't simply saying that he loves you. He isn't simply saying that you have 
peace with him or saying that you have a permanent standing in grace or that he redeems your sufferings. He proves it by giving the Holy Spirit to just overwhelmingly shower and just smother us in his love. And that should change the way that we relate to him. It should change the way that we speak to him, the way we speak about him, and how we live our lives day to day. So now what? We've talked about all the pieces of this passage, uh, and really we've, we've tried to, to, to dig in why each is important to take it, place, to take it beyond that place of just knowing that it's true, um, but really knowing why it matters now. Uh, but what's the next step? What, what do I do with all this? If you've trusted in Christ, if your faith is in him, my answer to you is just be with Jesus. Spend time with him in his word and in prayer and begin or continue to walk in and by the spirit that has been given to you. Hopefully, you're now convinced of the way he feels about you, that he no longer sees you in wrath, but in never-ending love, that you have a permanent position of grace, that he wants to be around you, that he doesn't allow you to suffer for no reason, but in fact redeems your sufferings. Hopefully, those things cause you to want to be with him more. So, Again, my encouragement to you is be with Jesus. Because of the evidence, you can rest assured that time spent with him is never wasted. If, however, you haven't trusted Jesus, if you haven't placed your faith in him, my answer to you this morning of what do I do now is run to Jesus. Hopefully you're now convinced of the way that God feels about you. That he sent Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin because he wants to be with you. He freely offers to give the righteousness of Jesus to anyone who believes. And I don't ever, I don't ever want to scare anyone into salvation. But the Bible clearly says that those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus are under the wrath of God. They're living in ungodliness, awaiting future judgment. But God is inviting you to step out of his wrath and into his overflowing, never-ending love, into a position of peace with him and grace before him, into a life of proven hope with promises of a redeemed life here on earth and a glorified life to come, living in the glory of his presence forever. He's done all the work for you. All you have to do is just run to Jesus. You can rest assured that he is anxiously, anxiously waiting for you to come to him and that he will not disappoint you or let you down when you do. Just surrender to him and find rest for your soul. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you are who you are. God, that not only can we know, but that the, the truth of who you are through the power of your spirit and just impacts the way we live. 
And God, I'm so thankful uh, that the truth of this passage uh, is actually truth. That you aren't a God who simply said, you messed up, I'm going to leave you on your own. Or even that you didn't stop at saying, fine, I'll send Jesus, then I don't want anything to do with you. But that you're a God who just constantly pursues us, who constantly comes after us and, and just makes it so easy to be with you and to just enjoy the splendor of your presence. God, I pray this morning that, that these things wouldn't just sit in the back of our minds and wouldn't just be things that we're, we're thankful that we know, that we can think about later, but God, that it would, it would move from our head into our hearts and that we would treasure these things and think on these things and reflect, but that then that knowledge would move out to our hands and lead us into deeper intimacy with you. It would lead us to the only place that we need to be, which is just with you. So God, as we take time, we pray that your spirit would move and that we wouldn't ignore the movement of your spirit. But that we would go where you go and move when you move. God, be with us now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.